You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome to Connecting the Universe. I am author and researcher Mike Ricksecker back at you with another interactive class out of the secret library of the Connected Universe. Tonight we're going to be talking about that uh, UAP hearing that happened a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, some of you are going to be like, oh, that was so two weeks ago. Yeah, I know. Uh, but two weeks ago, it was on Wednesdays when it happened. We had Mark Anthony scheduled for Edge of the Rabbit Hole that particular night. Um, I did a, publish a little on my social media, a uh, you know brief, you know kind of immediate feedback on that. I did post it to the Connected Universe portal, so I did cover that uh, within there. Last week, of course, I had my book release, Travels Through Time. If you haven't gotten it yet, pick it up, Travels Through Time, uh, Inside the Fourth Dimension. Time travel and stack time theory. I guess I ought to throw up the uh, the cover there. There you go. Uh, so go ahead and grab that, of course. So we covered that uh, in detail last week. And so finally, this week, we are getting to uh, the UAP hearing. So I think there's been some fallout since then. And uh, really the way I want to uh, handle this is really kind of step through the whole thing. This is what I envisioned uh, right after it happened and then... Uh, Life has just been extremely busy ever since then. Uh, so, yeah, we're finally getting to it. So uh, for those of that are listening to the audio podcast version of this later, please join us out here every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. That is the portal where we have all kinds of wonderful information. And not only do you have the weekly interactive class, which those that are members, come on out to the after show, uh, which will be at 9 o'clock. And then you know, there's all kinds of behind the scenes videos, uh, monthly Q&As, a lot of articles. Uh, you got, uh, you know, inside ancient Egypt tour, Ireland, America, Southwest, all that wonderful stuff. Connect to universeportal.com. Of course, we do uh, thank those that are out there in YouTube land watching it live as well. So I see uh, Jen is down in the house as well as Tom. Great to see uh, both of you. Wonderful. So, all right, let's go ahead and, okay, this is what I wanted to do. Like I said, I want to kind of step through uh, this hearing, kind of give some insights, some, you know, a little bit of, bits of detail, that sort of thing. Like I said, I know there's some fallout that has come from there, uh, but uh, yeah, this was the scene two weeks ago. And, you know, this was actually a really big deal that you had actual witness testimony before Congress, what happened, uh, you know, the last time around was, you know, we had a couple of people from the government that were getting grilled. 
And their responses, we've talked about this before in the past, their responses were very, very evasive. And that's the uh, day that Mike Gallagher, uh, for me, and as well as several other people, became like their favorite uh, congressman ever with the way that uh, he grilled those guys because they were just, they were com giving complete non-answers to everything. So here we actually finally got to hear from actual witnesses uh, testimony that got read into the record. So uh, here are the three that we have here. So we have Ryan Graves over there on the left. That's Executive Director, Americans for Safe Aerospace, former Navy F-18 pilot. Uh, we have David Grush. He's a former National Reconnaissance Officer uh, representative, uh, part of the UAP uh, task force, or reported to them, uh, part of the Department of Defense. And then on the right, we have uh, Commander David Fravor. He's a uh, former commanding officer and pilot witness to the uh, the Tic Tac uh, video. He was he was there for it. So uh, you know, these are our guys. Now, the way the hearing started off, in kind of typical government fashion, you had each member of you know Congress that was there. You know, these that are sitting in the seats in the back there. They each read an opening statement, basically, you know, kind of saying, you know, they hope to get something out of it. Yeah. Uh, they each have their own opinions on UAPs. And really, the, the gist from their point of view is really national security. And there's, there's definitely that flavor you know, all throughout uh, these hearings. And I totally understand that. But, of course, as the public... Yeah, we, we want a little bit more than just that. We're going to get into some of those things this evening. So, all right. So who do these guys really represent? Graves, Grush, and uh, Fravor. I see uh, Jill Nachinsky's down in the house as well. Great to see you, uh, Jill. Uh, Mo, uh, Mo Parathart, uh, Heart One. Uh, great to see you as well. But, uh, Okay. So these three, we'll start with with Graves here and give you a little background on you know why they're there and what they're looking for uh, out of this particular hearing. So again, he's Executive Director, Americans for Safe Aerospace, former F-18 pilot. He experienced U uh, UAP's firsthand operating in American airspace, both with radar and visually as well. And the way he uh, described these things that he and these other pilots were witnessing were these black cubes or sometimes grayish that were encompassed within some sort of clear sphere and they could tell by looking at these things that uh the the points of the cube the apex uh reach touching the sphere and these things are you know in the air moving around uh very very interesting and so uh his perspective on all this is that there's not really a safe place for people to go to report this type of phenomenon because there's such a stigma uh, that people are really discouraged from coming forward. This was something that was very prevalent uh, with he and his colleagues in the military. And of course, he sees this in the civilian sector as well, that uh, and he sees it more so in the civilian sector now. The military is starting to put things in place. We've seen this the last uh, few years now that they have put some reporting uh, processes into place. But 
uh, on the civilian side, and not really anything at all, except if you take into account like a private organization like MUFON, uh, that sort of thing. And that's one thing, you know, throughout here when they talk about like the civilian side, there's not really a place for people to go. I get that there's not, you know, like the uh, military right now, you know, there's a, there's a chain of command and they're starting to put organizations within the military and the government to be able to report these things. The civilian side doesn't have <clears throat> like an official government agency to go to. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm still kind of, my voice is kind of recovering from yesterday. And um, again, we have something like MUFON, but it's almost like they don't recognize that in official capacity, I guess because it's not a government agency, you know, they want everything like run through the government. Uh, but his stance is kind of like, well, you know, the, the airlines, you know, take like Delta, United, whatever, they don't really have anything in place for UAP reporting. Uh, you know, they're, you know, those are privately held companies. Um, I mean, I guess you could say they're, they're publicly exchanged in the stock market, but still, I mean, they're in, in the business of making money. So, um, you know, with the stigma around UAPs, UFOs, that's been there for decades, you know, they don't want to be known as, you know, like the UFO airline sort of thing. Okay. So, uh, David Grush, he's been in the, uh, he's been in the news a lot lately. Of course, he came forward earlier this year, you know, talking about, um, about recovered crash material, recovered uh, UAPs, UFOs. And, uh, you know, he was an intelligence officer for 14 years. Um, he was uh, GS-15 level, which is on the military side. It's about the equivalent of a uh, full bird colonel. And he became a whistleblower following reports from several, what he called several esteemed and credentialed military and intelligence community members of events occurring above and outside congressional oversight. He was informed of a multi-decade UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program. And basically, he's asking Congress to investigate the claims. And so, you know, that's kind of been one of my concerns throughout all of this is that, um, you know, when you had the, the ODNI report come out a couple of years ago, it really focused on uh, phenomenon starting in the early 2000s. When uh, we had the, the previous hearing, uh, with Bray and Moultrie, you know, representing different uh, government organizations. Anything that was prior to that, they just wouldn't talk about. You know, they were they were only talking about uh, modern and current cases. Anything when they would bring up things like Project Blue Book or what may have happened between Blue Book and you know early two thousands, they just claimed we don't have anything official. We don't have anything official. Well, of course there wasn't anything official. You know because you know, there wasn't any official organization that, you know, was, you know, pulling in this information, you know, that was collecting it. It was all, it, basically, it was the civilian side uh, in reports that, you know, maybe military personnel, you know, would come forward and talk about in a public forum, but they had no place to report it, which is why they went public to it or uh, when, when organizations like MUFON and others were uh, organized, you know, they, they'd talk about it with them. You see them talking about these things on, on television and different uh, extraterrestrial and alien programs, uh, this sort of thing. That was their only outlet that they had to go to. And the government officials wouldn't touch any of that. So, you know, it's great to see these things being talked about now and going back into the past. We'll see some of that as we go along. 
and then uh, Commander David Fravor. So he's a former commanding officer, pilot, U.S. Navy, like we said before. He was there for the Tic Tac uh, event, part of the uh, commander of the famous Black Aces. And uh, Tic Tac event was off the coast of California. And uh, they really didn't know what they were going out for that particular day. They had uh, new mission. They're going out to investigate objects that had been observed. They were just discovering this for two weeks by radar and other um, and other devices. And what he witnessed was, you know, on a perfect day, was, you know, an object coming from you know, eighty thousand feet in the air, down to like 20,000, maneuvering in ways that, you know, defies our current physics, and then took back off up into space. There's also um, some interesting uh, whitewater phenomena going on with, with the water. We'll talk about that a little bit later as we get into, because what we're going to do is we're going to get into uh, some of the different questions that they were asked throughout the hearing and how they responded and um let's give i'll give give you my take on on all of that so um so yeah uh you know forever is really interesting because you know he was you know one of the pilots up there and a the commander of that squadron observing all of this so um all right so let's kind of get into this here and see if you guys have any uh, comments or questions just yet um okay yeah tom <clears throat> says, why do you think these hearings are taking place? Do you think they know that something big is going to happen? So, <clears throat> you know, I think what's going on here, you know, when you had the report come out 2017, New York Times, which is something that um, Fravor was happy about because that was that was his, uh, his case. And Graves was also happy about it because, you know, here's something that, you know, he's had guys coming to him for a while because of his organization, you know, something that's coming to light. And, you know, that kind of blew the lid off of, you know, there's, there are strange phenomena happening in the skies that, you know, this is coming from the military. These are pilots that are up in the air. These are unexplainable things that are, you know, defying the laws of physics that we know of, you know, and if, even if it was within the scope of, you know, our regular physics, it's something the the human body couldn't hold up to. So it's, you know, it's not human. And so, you know, with that coming to light, they have to talk about it to some degree. They have to address it to some degree. You also have all these people all over the world now, you know, in their pocket, you know, if it's not a 4K camera that's on their phone, it's at least HD. And people are capturing all kinds of strange phenomena in the skies you know, on their phones or, uh, you know, maybe other devices that they, that they may have. And so they can no longer just, you know, what they've done for decades, deny, 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 deny. They can't just straight up deny anymore. So now they're at least coming forward and saying, well, there's something in the skies. We don't know what it is. And they're going to adhere to that for as long as they can. You know, that's always the, the government stance is deny, 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 deny as much as we can, give as little information as possible for as long as we can, you know, until, you know, something is right in our face. Even with these hearings here, okay, everything that was talked about in this hearing that, you know, people are kind of, you know, people are raving about 
you know, hey, you know, is, you know, we're talking UIPs or before Congress. Some people are even saying this was disclosure. No, 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 no. You're kind of jumping the gun a little bit here. Everything that was talked about in that hearing, we've been hearing stories like this for decades. We've heard about crashes. We've heard stories of the government, you know, having uh, pieces of uh, alien technology or, uh, or parts of UFOs. We've heard stories like this. You know, we've, uh, you know, been talking about, you know, strange things in the sky for a long time. And, you know, we've, of course, seen the Tic Tac video and the gimbal video and all of those. We've, we've seen that stuff for decades. So there was really no new information here. Um, but we're going to get into some of it anyway, because it is interesting to see how in some ways what this did was to really uh, confirm for some people uh, what's really going on. It legitimizes um, a, a lot of this sort of stuff. So, you know, what's been on the television shows, what people have written books about, uh, what we've seen in our science fiction a lot of the general public is kind of been like, oh, you know, those are stories or those people are wacko or whatever. This legitimizes a lot of that information now, a lot of those reports and sightings. It also puts it on public record. So it's not just on a television show or in a book or, you know, some guy, you know, talking crazy in the corner or whatever. Um, it, it legitimizes it to some degree. And that is really helpful. So, all right, let's go ahead and start this off where the, um, I, I do have to apologize. I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit here because I was basically working on this up until we went live. Um, my last couple of weeks for me have been just absolutely crazy with the book release and everything. But, okay, we'll start with the uh, the chairman, Glenn Grothman. And so, uh you know, what he basically had to uh, present or, or ask is kind of what we're going to get into is, you know, the questions that they were asking um, is you know, just basic stuff to start with. Do you feel adequately, adequately trained uh, on encounters with UAPs? And that's really uh, you know, the Department of Graves. And that's where he was coming from, where he was saying, no, military witnesses have limited options for reporting. Commercial aviation sec sector has no reporting system at all. And so he wants a, a system in place in which pilots can report without having, uh, without losing their jobs. He also acknowledges that there are uh, some classified technology that is being used, like different radar technology and things that, that we have in the military, that picks up on those objects, which, you know, is classified. And we don't want, you know, our adversaries around the world knowing that we have you know, X, Y, or Z for, uh, for technology. But the, what they actually capture, like the UAP itself, that part doesn't need to be classified. You just want to say, we picked this up on a device. You don't have to say what the device is, right? The, what the device is, is the classified part. You don't have to divulge that. But the UAP itself, that's not classified. So um, there's even a moment within this where um, Fravor you know, talks about, you know, there's footage off of iPhones that has been turned in and is immediately stamped with uh, 
top secret SCI uh, clearance only. And it, you know, it's, it's somebody's iPhone footage. Like, oh, why? So it gets overclassified. And because it ends up with that, uh, you know, high security, you know, you have to like, one, have that clearance, two, have a need to know, and then you have to go, you know, looking around for it. Nobody's just going to hand it to you. So, um, so it makes it really, really difficult. And so that's um, one of the things that they're trying to hopefully overcome out of this, that there's a you know, much better reporting system for both, mil both military and the commercial side, and that there is a, you know, a repository where we can you know, look up what we'd really consider like the unclassified part of it, like the UAP uh, itself. All right, so... Um, so Grothman also went on, uh, you know, any reason why anything related to e e uh, UAP, say 15 years and back, should not be immediately made public. Um, you know, and that's one where they're like, you know, 15 years ago. And Grush specifically said, you know, only if it's acknowledging a vulnerability. And, you know, basically uh, recognizing that, you know, if there was a, um, you know, if a UAP entered into our airspace because of some, some vulnerability, uh, with our military, well, we don't, again, want our adversaries knowing about that particular vulnerability, you know, so, and then growth moving on, I don't know, 20 years, you know, thinking that, you know, we would have updated the technology since then. And even, you know, Graves acknowledged with, uh, you know, with the reports that, uh, that he was getting, like, in his own personal experience, was that um, they had just updated the uh, radar technology in their jets and that's when they started seeing a lot more of these different things is that you know as we've been upgrading the technology we've been picking up on more things no we don't want our adversaries to know what that technology is that picked up on it but we should be letting somebody know about the different things that that we are seeing in the sky and then uh you know growthman asked about you know these pose a threat to national security well you know yeah, sure, they, they possibly could, and that's and that's a concern. Um, I believe a lot of the uh, there's a couple of different things uh, that they were really concerned with as far as you know the uh, Congress. The one does oppose a threat to national security. Is is what we are observing not necessarily extraterrestrial in nature, but even if it is, you know, is there uh, you know something that is going to uh, pose a security risk? Is it something? You know, especially if it's a uh, you know foreign adversary here from Earth, is there some technology that they've developed to be able to enter our airspace that we can't handle? You know, that would definitely be uh, a concern. Of course, you know, most of this and in, in what these guys are are uh, stating, especially Graves and and Fravor said it a, a few different times that you know this is not something that anybody here on Earth has. You know, you just you can't move like this. Um, the the strain it would put on the human body it would it would kill a person. There's too many. Uh, the G force is just ridiculous. So um, you know, but okay. Then is it then is it a drone? You know that sort of thing. Um, you know, and then Fravor ended up you know reporting or you know saying a couple different times. Look, you know, this is stuff that you know came out of space came down to, you know, around the 20,000 foot range in, uh, in, in one of his uh, stories that he was saying, uh, down to 12, and then shot back up into space. We, we don't have anything on Earth that comes from space, hangs out in the air for a while, and then goes back up. You just don't do that. It's, it's enough for us just to get a, a rocket off the ground, 
maybe orbit, you know, like with the space shuttle, right? Um, you know, we went up, we orbited for a while, and then we came back down. And when we came back down, we were going to the ground. Um, and the older, the older ones, you know, capsules, you know, going into the ocean, things like that, you know, nothing came out of space, hung out, and then went back up. And that's what they were observing. Nobody else on Earth has that either. So, all right, let's move on here. Um, Garcia, where is, there's, there's the image. All right, Robert Garcia. So, you know, again, this is early on, early on kind of had more of the um, standard questions, like um, you know, discussing the need for a safe reporting system for both military and commercial, and also for citizens who are not pilots, which I thought was a nice touch there. Because a lot of people, you know, you and me, you know, we do see, we see stuff. You know, I've, I mean, I've seen what I know for sure, one, um, UFO, something I could not explain. And, uh, you know, I've, I know others who have seen all kinds of things, you know. And so we have, again, we have civilian organizations like MUFON and, uh, and some other organizations like that. Um, but he's kind of, you know, looking for something that's, uh, I don't want to say more official, because to me, you know, MUFON's been around for so long and is so well established, and they train the hell out of out of their people. I know several people within MUFON, and it's it's rigorous. You know the you know the type of reporting that you have to do, the type of investigation work, the reports that you have to put together. It is extremely extremely detailed. They're looking for something that's like actually part of the government, um, is what it sounds like, and and there's not a government agency uh, like that for a civilian person to go report to. Um, so, you know, we report things to, to move on. And I highly encourage you to do so. If you see something, report it. So, um, so that's really where, where Garcia was uh, coming from. I'm just looking through my notes here. Uh, and then, you know, he asked uh, Grush, you know, do, do you believe our government is in possession of UAPs? And that was, that was Grush's big thing is that, um, yeah, we do. So based on 40 witnesses over four years and from, you know, what they had said uh, that, that we actually do. So we're going to get into a line of questioning and it comes back to uh, this person as well in kind of an interesting manner. We'll start with the, the first part of it. That's Tim Burchett from Tennessee. So, you know, starts off with a, uh, you know, of course, a good question. How do you know they are not our aircraft. And so, um, you know, Grace basically says, you know, these objects are staying perfectly still, cat for hurricane winds. And then these same objects would then just suddenly accelerate to supersonic speeds in ways that are completely inexplicable. It makes no sense. So then uh, Richard turns to Fravor and says, what astonished you most about the Tic Tac? And he said, you know, the performance, it's beyond our science. So here's two guys that are basically saying, look, the physics of these things, just they're beyond us. They're absolutely beyond us. So then Burchett turns his uh, questioning over to, to Grush. Now, have you faced any retaliation for coming forward? And here's where it starts to get really interesting, where Grush says, you know, that he has to be careful in what he 
uh, says in detail because you know there's still this open whistleblower investigation that's being conducted. That's how he came forward. Is uh, you know he filed an official whistleblower uh, uh, report. You know, and this is something that hasn't been in place all that long. It's because we've had people for again decades reporting different things, but it's never gotten to this level. And that's because he filed this, uh, you know, official whistleblower report that is being investigated. There's a committee set up for that, Inspector General, all these, you know, different things. And so he's going through that right now. There's certain things that he can't talk about because of that. There's also certain things he can't talk about because of uh, their classification that they're, you know, uh, could be, I mean, it starts confidential, secret, top secret. Any one of those three you can't, of course, talk about in a public forum. So, you know, Burchett goes on. And uh, like I said, this is kind of uh, interesting. You know, have you faced any retaliation for coming forward? Grush says, um, well, okay, we did cover that question. But he was saying that... Uh, you know, tactics are used to uh, hurt, him, hurt him both personally and professionally. And then Burchett asked him, do you know anyone that's been harmed in an effort to cover up and conceal UAPs? He says, yes, personally. And then this is where it got almost kind of gruesome. Burchett asked, has anyone been murdered that you know of or have heard of? And Gress says, I have to be careful what I say. Uh, and the question should be uh, directed to people of the appropriate authorities. Oh, oh, interesting. So people getting harmed, hurt. Um, Grush has talked about being discredited. Question comes up about murder. So this really, to me, um, you know, smacks of the whole men in black phenomena. And you know, we heard those stories coming out of the '40s and '50s where. You know, you you witnessed a UFO. You know, you may have uh, said something to the newspaper or you know, the local news team or something like that. And all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom! You know, you got the knock on the door, and here's the men in black. A lot of those type of reports came out of the '40s and '50s, and uh, even into the '60s. You don't really hear too many men in black reports these days. You know, people have you know submitted footage like you know, saw the men in, you know, woman at a hotel. Uh, what was that? The Niagara Falls one. Woman had, uh, you know, seen a UFO or UAP. Had reported it, and the men in black showed up at her hotel, and they got the footage of the guys walking in. Um, you know, take take it for what you will. And you know, we've talked about that before uh, on here, but you don't have too many of those type of sightings that are talked about as much these days. But maybe people are spooked. I don't know. But you heard a a, a lot more of those cases back then. And it could be that they've learned to be a little bit more discreet about it and not always be just straight up in black. But even Dan Aykroyd uh, has talked about witnessing the men in black. Uh, so so it kind of smacks of those. And we've had um, you know, our friend Rick Doty on here before. He's uh, you know, He was with OSI, Air Force OSI. You know, he said he worked with uh, the men in black. In a, in a bit of a different capacity. Um, you know, when I worked at NSA, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, we had guys like that. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that they were uh, threatening people off of UFO cases. 
Um, of course, my area of NSA was a little bit of a different realm. So, uh, but this is kind of interesting, you know, that there is, and we've, you know, a, a lot of people kind of, you know, joke around about it. We've seen it in a movie that, um, you know, you say or do the wrong thing and, you know, here comes, uh, you know, the shadowy government organization that's going to bump you off. There is some truth behind that. There is. And uh, Grush is talking a little bit about it here. That that is still going on. All right. So we uh, we swing it back to, to Burchett here. <clears throat> and uh, one of the things that he brings up that is really kind of interesting uh, because again, there's, all, there's only certain things that these guys can talk about because many things are, uh, they're uh, secure. You know, they're, you know, top secret or whatever. And Burchett states that there are, you know, that there are things here that they're talking about. Uh, some of these details that can't be divulged that could be talked about in a skiff, which is basically a secure room. And it's, you know, confined. You know, there's no way for people to record and all that sort of stuff in there. Um, if we're familiar with those, and the ones that I were, that I had been in uh, resembled vaults. I mean, literally had like a vault door and you'd walk in and yeah. <laughs> And so that's what he's talking about here. They were denied access. They were specifically, they asked for one. They asked for a skiff to be made available so they could talk about these things. They were denied one. Why? You know, if there's nothing to hide here, why are they being denied access to a skiff, to a secure room to be able to talk about these things? So the way they ended up handling this was they kind of talked around it. It was done uh, in a very, very interesting manner as uh, we'll continue to see. So Burchett uh, asked Favor, Favor, I'm sorry, uh, to clarify uh, whatever seen, was seen during the Tic Tac incident, which disappeared. Uh, he said he didn't. Uh, or I'm sorry, about the white water. Clarify the white water that was seen when the tic tac disappeared. It said the white water also disappeared. So basically, it's a you know ocean phenomenon. And so uh, Forever said he they didn't see an object that created the white water, but when the tic tac disappeared, so did the white water. And I guess he and his buddies at the time joked around that the tic tac was communicating with something underwater, but that something had obviously moved under the water. So. People have talked for a while, like underground bases. And, uh, you know, this happened uh, off the coast of California, off of San Diego, which people have talked about for a while. There are you know, a lot of UAP sightings around San Diego. People have talked about, uh, you know, underwater bases, you know, off the coast of San Diego out there. And so, you know, here it is. They're a little ways out. But still, you know, you've got this crazy thing happening in the air. And down below, you know, the water's churning up. So now they didn't see anything come up out of the water, but whatever was going on down there when the tic-tac disappeared, so did that water phenomenon. Now, okay, was it communicating with something down there? Maybe. Was perhaps, now, you have something here that's defying the laws of physics. So was it possible that whatever the physics were 
the mechanism to make this tic-tac work the way it was, was it powerful enough that, you know, straight down below it in the water, it was creating a disturbance in the water? Again, we're talking like 12 to 20,000 feet that, uh, that they are in the air or that the tic-tac is in the air and you have this uh, water phenomenon going on down below. And then of course, boom, it shoots off, you know, back into space. So very, very interesting. And then um, Burchett also asked Braver about jamming, that their radars were actually being jammed. Now they got the video uh, of the Tic Tac through their, their targeting. And then, uh, you know, Burchett asked Fravor, you know, is he aware? Now, this is a guy that was, you know, Air Force Squadron Commander. They have to, they have to know about, you know, the, the technology that, you know, our enemies and other world powers have. He asked him, are you aware of our enemies having the capability to jam radar? No, straight up, no. Nope. Yeah, that's not... It's not something we really have. And we see that in our science fiction, right? Uh, it's not something we, we really have. Um, comments here from the chat. Uh, in a, maybe the men in black have resorted to online interrogation. Yeah, maybe their methodology methodology has changed a little bit. I would say that, okay. Now, like in the 80s, early 90s when I was a kid uh, in living in Worcester, Ohio, we always knew this unmarked cop car, you know, because of the way that the wheels were done, you know, it was all, it was all black, right? Uh, well, we knew that was the, that was the cop because of the way he did his car. And so I, I wonder with, you know, men in black, if they picked up on the fact that, well, if we dress in, you know, all black and the suits and the, the sunglasses and the hats and all that, people are going to recognize Oh, dang, there's the men in black, especially after, you know, the movies. And I get, you know, sci-fi, it's fun with uh, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. But, you know, this is information that's being, you know, propagated out there, you know, quite a ways for many, many years. Maybe they finally decided or figured out, yeah, maybe we should try to look a little bit more regular, blend in a little bit, um, you know, so that people don't know we're coming. Maybe. So, all right, let's kind of move on a little bit here. We're going to come back to uh, Burchett here in just a little bit because there's a really interesting interaction that ends up happening. Jamie Raskin from Maryland. I actually met him before. Um, so, you know, he just wants some clarifications. It's just the East Coast. Uh, Graves tells them, no, it's all over the world. Uh, and then, you know, the reaction to the reports. So, you know, Graves said that... Uh, you know, when the report and the video came out in 2017, he realized that you know, this was still going on, that, you know, this phenomenon that pilots were experiencing was still happening. And, you know, they were having these challenges in a, in a type of reporting process. And it basically came down to, okay, you know, they got to resort to you know, using the New York Times. So, um, again, he was asked to you know, describe what, was seen, you know, his, his experience and, uh, you know, the, the pilots that he worked with. And again, this was, you know, blair, uh, gray or black cubes inside of a clear sphere with the tips of the cube touching the spheres. And 
those reports had been going on for about eight years until he uh, got out and then, you know, of course, uh, created this organization. And then as far as he knows, it's, it's still occurring because he's still getting reports uh, of these sorts of things from uh, people that he works with. And he's worked with with many. So they talked about, you know, 30. He's like, well, that's, you know, when I started the organization, it was 30 and we've had a lot more people, uh, you know, come forward. Uh, Raskin asked Grush, what was the experience uh, when you came forward? And he said he had support from some colleagues. You know, he, he did get some support, um, but he's aware of, repri of reprisal tactics being aimed at him coming from senior leadership in organizations he had previously worked for. And again, he mentions he can provide more details in a closed environment. Uh, he called it, uh, you know, administrative terrorism. They were threatening the career path, which is a legitimate thing, especially within... Uh, within the government, you know, they kind of, they basically see it as, you know, you're turning on your own. Uh, you know, no, people don't like whistleblowers. You know, they don't like quote unquote snitches. Right. Um, but if you don't toe the line and I have firsthand experience you know, with this, I've seen it. If you don't toe the line or you rub somebody the wrong way, that's in a position of power over you. Oh, forget it. You're going to get blocked all over the place. Um, you know, when I was, I yeah, what's interesting is it was very, very different. What I saw and experienced in Alaska, working with the military up there, was very, very different than when I went to NSA and had to work with those people there. You know, I was, I was very young. You know, um, I was 21 years old when I got uh, when I was transferred to NSA. I'd been in the Air Force since I was 18. Uh, actually, technically 17. I turned 18 when I was in basic training. And then um, go through all the rigors of training, ended up in Alaska. And I don't want to say it was laid back. It was just a different atmosphere. Um, and maybe it's because you're all experiencing those hardships of, you know, the great white North, especially through the winter. So there's kind of a, um, there's like a camaraderie that builds there and an understanding, you know, between people, even though, you know, I mean, we are up there protecting from, uh, was at that time, you know, the former Soviet Union, the, the Soviet Union had just crumbled uh, just before I was stationed up there. And so there was always, you know, kind of that, what's going to happen with those guys? So, you know, first line of defense. So there's always that kind of lurking in the background there. Um, but because we're also experiencing these different hardships together, I think there's more of a camaraderie there where NSA was a heck of a lot more cutthroat um, yeah. And if you, like in Alaska, you could you know, talk to somebody, maybe things have changed over the years. I don't know. This is just my experience, you know, 30 years ago. Um, if something was up, you know, you can go talk to your supervisor and then, you know, your supervisor would bring in, um, you know, the NCOIC or whatever, you know, you go up the chain and you get to talk and talk, whatever it is. And the same, man, you rub somebody the wrong way and it's just, you know, yeah. Um, so I understand what he, what he's talking about there. And yeah, there are, there are people that will, um, that will block you from, uh, from moving around. Um, you can, especially if you are a military member, um, you know, you can have a military member living on base housing. Oh man. And you can have different things taken away from you. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, they, 
they kind of hold the keys to your life. And then, um, you know, if you're depending on, if you're thinking, okay, you know, I'm going to make this career government position, uh, especially working in technology and the different things that you're working on, you need your security clearance. If you do or say the wrong thing, you know, you can have that, that clearance pulled. Um, you know, and it might be, and they, they always put it under the, the guise of, well, you know, you've got this stress going on in your life. So, um, that could cause you for whatever freaking reason to sell secrets to a foreign power. If you, seriously, just this something as common as, you know, I'm going through a divorce or even if like, you know, uh, you're having, maybe not necessarily going through that, but maybe there are some domestic things going on you know, they can don't completely yank it from you, suspend you for a while, maybe go work in an orderly room somewhere until the situation resolves itself and you can go back. It's bizarre. Yeah, uh, that sort of stuff will happen. So that's when, uh, when, when Bob Lazar tells his story and he talks about um, stuff that was going on with his wife and how they're looking at pulling his security clearance and all that sort of thing. It's like, I believe this guy's story because of the personal side of it. Not anything to do with uh, technology that he may have seen or uh, they're trying to reverse engineer things. Again, we've heard these stories for a while. You know, Bob Lazar is one of them. Um, but I ended up believing him because of the personal side. So, all right, let's move on. Uh, I've been a little long-winded here with some of these things. So, all right, uh, Anna Luna from Florida. So, um, so she's asking, uh, Grush, in the last couple of years, have you had incidents that caused you to have fear for your life for addressing these issues? And again, yes, personally. And then um, she ends up asking Graves about a specific incident at uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base. And so, and see, this is the thing, is that with a lot of this stuff, they already knew the answers. And a lot of these stories we've already heard. but much of this hearing was just to have things read into the record to actually make these things official. And so that's kind of what this was. She knew the story. You know, she wasn't asking to be enlightened on it. She knew the story, but she needed somebody to tell the story. So Graves talks about it was 2003. Uh, there's a large group of Boeing contractors working uh, near one of the launch facilities there at Vandenberg. And they observed a very large, 100-yard size red square approach from the ocean. It hovered over one of the launch facilities. The object remained there for about 45 seconds before darting off over the mountains. And then later that evening, there was a similar event that happened. And then she asked if there was, uh, if this reported in an official manner. And he said with this one, yeah, there was documentation from the event that a witness held on to over the years. Um, so... With that one, it's like, it makes you wonder, okay, this, this witness hung on to whatever the report was that he filed, but, you know, there wasn't a reporting, an official really reporting facility for that. So, you know, where did it go? And it's one of those that he reported it, he got a document of his report, but the report kind of got, you know, lost in the shuffle over the years. It's, it's one of those, again, that, um, you know, it ends up being put in a drawer somewhere. It's filed away and nobody sees it unless somebody specifically goes looking for it. And you know, most people aren't specifically looking for it. We would, but you know, you know what I mean? Um, we're going to come back to her in, in a little bit 
here too. Um, all right, Jared Moskovitz. So, um, so he was asking about like some of the, uh, you know, physics of it all, you know, could humans survive the type of G forces these vehicles displayed grays and favor both. No. Um, did you see a seam or a rivet Graves said didn't have any detail, um, other than, you know, these blocks and spheres, uh, Fravor says, uh, with his, uh, report with the, with the Tic Tac, uh, that it was perfectly white and smooth. And then when you put the, uh, flare footage from that event on a big screen, you can see two little objects come out of the bottom of it, but it had no windows, no seams, anything like that. Uh, then Moskovitz uh, turned to Grush and says, if you met with people with direct knowledge or have direct knowledge yourself of non-human origin craft, non-human origin craft. So we're talking you know, UFOs, UAPs of an extraterrestrial nature. And so Grush says, um, yes, he personally interviewed those individuals. And then Moskovitz asks, are there programs in advanced tech space that are unsanctioned? Rush said, yes, this is when we start into misappropriation of funds here. So, um, you know, Moskovitz asked, when you say they are above congressional oversight, what do you mean? So Grush explains, you know, there's special access programs. Uh, he says he can give generalities about funding, but again, he can't give details unless in a closed, secure session. But yes, talking about misappropriation of funds. So Moskovitz then asked, uh, does that mean there is money in the budget that is said to go to a program, but it doesn't, and it goes to something else? Grush again says, yes, I have specific knowledge of that. Masavist asks again, are American companies overcharging for certain tech, and that extra is being used to fund these programs? Grush says, correct. And then he got on to um, you know, some, a little bit of detail here about some satellite imagery asking about uh, satellite imagery that's been obtained related to UAP crash imagery. Uh, Grush says he can't discuss it in an open session. Again, it's classified. And then is the government involved in a disinformation campaign regarding UAPs? He says he can't go beyond what is stated publicly in his News Nation interview. So, you know, a lot to take in from that, especially the misappropriation of funds, which, again, doesn't surprise us. You know, um, you know we've we've... You know, been listening to Stephen Greer for years talk about special access programs and how money is diverted, you know, from, you know, one organization to another, or it's supposed to go to this place, but we slide it off to the side over here. We've been talking about this for years, but here it is now officially being read into uh, the record, which is, again, you know, what I believe is kind of the, the whole point of this thing. So uh, we have $5 super chat here from Tom McNicholas. That's interesting topic. Thank you very much, Tom. Super chat superstar, Tom McNicholas. Absolutely appreciate that. So misappropriation of funds? Yeah. Um, there is, you know, the, <laughs> the way the government handles money, it's, is there any reason you know, or any question as to, you know, why our country is so much in debt? Um, yeah, it's just, it's a shell game. You know, the way the money is moved around. Um, it's, it's basically if, especially when it comes to, um, special access programs, things that have to do with, uh, military department defense, uh, special technology, things like that. They're going to find a way to get those funds and they're going to move things around. And 
uh, Burchett comes back around and, and addresses that here. So, um, so uh, the one representative, Comer, this was an interesting little, this, now this is um, hearing tactics, <laughs> congressional hearing tactics. So obviously there, there's discussions beforehand and you know, a number of these uh, you know, congressmen and women had talked to these people beforehand. So they knew what they were going into and in, in talking about on, on many of these different topics. And you can kind of tell that with the conversation, some of the banter that goes back and forth that I wouldn't say, you know, they're prepped on what to say, but they know the topics, they know where they're going, the different things that they have questions about. Because each of these representatives only has five minutes. That's it. You got to ask your question and then that person has to answer it quickly, get your next question in. There's not a lot of time to, you know, go back and forth and have a deep discussion. So, you know, you're either hoping one of the other representatives there is going to piggyback off of that, or you cut a deal with another one of the representatives that, you know, maybe they don't have so many questions, but they're your buddy and they know you have a lot of things to ask. And that, well, they'll never admit it. That's what happened here. So the representative Comer yielded his five minutes to Tim Burchett, who had already at his five minutes, but now he's got another five because he has more questions to ask. So let's get back to, uh, to Mr. Burchett here. And so um, he asks, uh, Mr. Grush, has the U.S. government become aware of extraterrestrials or intelligent forms of life? And if so, when do you think this first occurred? Ah, now we're going back some years here. And so... Uh, Grush says, no, this is interesting. He actually predates it from Roswell and says in the 1930s. Now, when we think of, you know, the, the UFO flaps and, and that, we think people usually go to Roswell, but there are a, a couple of incidents before that, you know, and we're talking like a month or two before that, right? Um, West Coast, Washington State. So, but people think 1947. He's talking, no, no, no. It was actually before that in the 1930s, which to me does make sense. And although we don't usually hear these stories about the United States, we know that Germany may have had some interaction with UFOs and UAPs. And this is something that you know, the Third Reich was very interested in and part of their world domination and using uh, some of this technology to, you know, build their armies, build their technology and, you know, take over the, take over the world is what they were trying to do. So it's interesting that he talks about the thirties and again, um, you know, what all these hearings so far had been focused on, or, you know, ODNI report, the, the previous hearing, they're all focused on like early two thousands to now and almost like disregarding everything that happened beforehand. So I like that they brought up, Hey, this is something that, we've at least known about for the last 90 years. You think about that, the 1930s was 90 years ago. Jeez. So, all right. So, Burchett continues to go on. Um, you know, can you give names of those who have access to crash retrieval programs? And then he remarks, this is an interesting remark. He's like, you know, we've talked about, you know, places like Area 51, but we, meaning the government, moves like a glacier. So as soon as something is said, I'm sure the moving vans pull up. Which I got a I got a kick out of that, which is true. Um, you know, we talk about oh yeah, we're gonna go here and do this thing, or we're gonna do that thing, and 
it's so methodical because there's like a process that they have to go through that whoever's on the other side, especially with the speed that information gets around these days, like, oh, okay, they're onto us. Well, it's gonna take about a week or two to even, you know, think about getting here, you know, let alone, you know, start to put the pieces in place to move over here. So yeah, it's all right, back up the trucks, we'll clear it out. And, uh, you know, we'll put the put the front on and, uh, you know, make like nothing was going on here. Come on. So in case. Um, so Grush says that uh, he can't publicly uh, comment on that. Again, they get into the thing about, uh, you know, we need a skiff. Grush says, you know, I did provide information to uh, an inspector general. So they kind of have that back and forth about uh, security again. So then, uh, you know, Burchett is asking about the special access programs that cover this information and, you know, how uh, oversight, congressional oversight has been evaded for, for so long. And Grush responds that, um, that uh, he has those names and he knows how they evaded oversight, but again, cannot do that publicly. He can't talk about it publicly. You know, it has to be in a secure environment, which they have been denied. Again, remember, they were denied access to a SCIF, so they can't talk about these things. Um, and Burchett asked him, what do you think these uh, programs began? Who authorized them? Again, Grush says he has a lot of that information, but he cannot discuss publicly. So keep in mind that the answers that we're looking for are actually in the questions because Grush at this point is, is basically saying, I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it. But the information that we're getting out of this is actually in the question from Burchett. You know, he's basically saying, you know, there's this going on, there's that, there's that going on. Tell us more about it. Grush can't, but is being put into the record that these things are going on. And that's the, uh, that's basically the tactic here. So then Burchett asked, what level of security clearance is required to access these programs? We were turned away, which, and he had talked about, um, you know, trying to get access into some area and, uh, and they were denied. And, you know, Grush tells them that uh, TSSCI clearance and meets the eligibility uh, criteria, which led into an even bigger discussion about uh, security clearance. And basically what's going on there is, you know, even if you have a top secret security clearance, it does not mean you get access to anything that's top secret. There's special compartments. SCI is one of those particular uh, compartments. And each of those letters means uh, something different. So, you know, it could be uh, SCI, uh, SBI, you know, a, a lot of different things. Uh, mine was TSSBI. Uh, but even if I had that security clearance, if I did not have the need to know um, to get into that area, I would be denied. It's one of those where, you know, okay, just, just imagine you got a door that says top secret. All right. You knock on the door, ding, 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 ding. Okay. You know, who are you? I'm Mike Ricksecker. Uh, you know, you have a, you know, security clearance and show my badge. Okay. Got a clearance. Okay, you got a clearance. Why are you here? If you don't have a valid reason as to why to be there, you can't just say, I want to come in. Have a look around. Can't do that. Why are you here? What is your need to know? What purpose is it that you need to be in this room? Now, for me, when I was working there, it was mostly, I need to go fix that computer or, you know, I need to install some software over there. Or I need to run network cables through here, that sort of thing, because that was, you know, my job. 
Um, and they'd be like, okay, you know, come on in. Um, but uh, yeah, if I, if I wasn't doing that sort of stuff in that particular room, um, yeah, I, I wasn't getting access. And that's what they're talking about there. So, um, so Burchett then asked, uh, which private organizations are directly involved in these programs? How much taxpayer money has been invested in these programs to your knowledge? Uh, and then remarks, and I, and I like this one too. Then remarks, we audit the Pentagon every year and they fail it every year. Uh, lose over, and this is an approximation, uh, we lose over a billion dollars per year, we believe. About 60% of DOD assets are unaccounted for. In the public sector, you go to jail for that kind of crap. And, you know, we laugh about that stuff all the time, right? You know, just, you know, us civilians, we laugh about that stuff all the time. You know, you know the government gets away with this and they get away with that. If I was to do that, you know, I'd go to jail. The IRS would be on my doorstep. We laugh about it, yeah. But it's real. It's actually, it is straight up legitimate. Um yeah, they get away. It, you know, the auditing is a joke. You know, yes, you get audited. It's a, it's a, you know, it's it's a government agency that is auditing a government agency. They don't, yeah. The DOD, the Pentagon, they're going to get their money in more. So, okay, here's the auditors. Come on in. You know, we know the deal. Do, do, do. Yeah, but sixty percent of their assets are unaccounted for. And we're talking billions and billions and billions of dollars. Well, forty percent there. Oh, there's a lot you can do with forty percent of unaccounted money and assets. Come on. So um, here's here's where it gets. <laughs> this got a little funky uh, during the hearing. So you have uh, Representative Luna sitting right next to Berger, and you can hear. Uh, through the microphone, she's asking, hey, ask him this, ask him this. And he's like, what? What do you, what do you want me to ask him? <laughs> you know, they have, they're having like this little back and forth conversation. Ask him this. And finally, which is totally out of order, she actually got on the microphone herself. Now, it was, Burchett didn't yield his time, which came from Comer to her. She just hopped on the microphone uh, and asked him, how to get it on the record about uh, the disinformation campaign. And, uh, you know, basically all that, when we talk disinformation, uh, it's news. It's basically fake news, right? Fake news coming to us as if it is real to put us off the scent yeah, of, of what's really going on. And so she was, you know, she wanted Burchett to ask about that. Um, and Grush, they were basically out of time. In fact, they went 21 seconds over with this because of the little back and forth between Burchett and Luna. Um, and Grush just basically referred them to his uh, News Nation interview. So, um, yeah, it was really, really uh, interesting to see. Okay, we're basically breaking the rules of the hearing right here. Um, so uh, we are... Right, and we're at the end of our hour, um, so I'm going to skip over a couple here, and I already have a little bit, uh, kind of skip some stuff, and I knew that was probably going to happen. There's a lot of material here. So um, Ocasio-Cortez, uh, she had a couple of questions. I'll skip over that. Biggs had a couple of questions. Biggs, um, 
So uh, let's see here. And I'll just say this. So she was, um, so uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was asking about government contractors. And, if, and this that was kind of interesting. If government contractors, if they see something, if they're required to file any sort of report on UAP settings in, you know, the government works with our contractors of all different shapes and sizes all the time. And um, so, yeah, there's nothing in place is, is basically what they answered for that. Um, Representative uh, Andy Biggs from Arizona wanted to know specifically about the Phoenix Lights. Um, and if they knew if there was anything different than the official explanation. And they basically answered, you know, they only know what's in the public vernacular. Um, and then he wanted to know where can we find the files? And that's the thing is, um, you know, for, for a lot of these Congress people, um, they can get to, you know, some of that information, um, but they don't know where to actually find it. Now, some of it's going to be, oh, you know, this clearance, that clearance, that clearance, and they meet with all kinds of roadblocks. Some of it is accessible, but they don't know where to find it. It's it's not like, um, you know, there's an organization that says, oh, you can click here and click there, and then you find it. Um, they really have to you know, run around some circles to try to actually find it. And that was one. Grush was like, I could tell you in a closed environment again. Um, and so then uh, we get to Representative Burleson from uh, Missouri. Now, this is this is a freshman congressman. He admitted that he's uh, he's only been around for six months. He, he actually said, I, uh, I'm skeptical about all this. And I don't believe anything in this town, meaning Washington. <laughs> it's like, I don't believe anything here. Um, so he wanted to know about specifics about harmful or uh, hostile activity. And, um, you know, Grush said uh, he's aware of multiple colleagues who have been injured. Burleson asked by UAPs or the government. Grush said both. Said they'd been hurt by both UAPs and the government. Um, so Burleson asked, so there's been uh, activity by non-human technology or beings that has caused harm to humans? And, you know, Grush said that uh, he can't get into specifics in an open environment. You've heard this before. Can't get into specifics. Um, but that there was activity that he personally witnessed. Again, he has to be careful. But what he personally witnessed was disturbing. So Burleson asked, we were talking craft, bodies, what have you seen? Again, he says, I have to be careful talking about this. But he can answer behind closed doors. <laughs> but then uh, Burleson asked specifically, you know, have you, have you seen extraterrestrial bodies? Uh, Grush said not, he had not witnessed any bodies himself. So and then Burleson, bring his photo back up here again, says, um, okay, we're light years from other systems. He said billions of light years, but there's you know, other there's solar systems that are you know shorter than that. But still, you know, we would not get there anywhere near within our human lifetime. Uh, so we're light years away from other systems. There's a concept that an alien species can travel here, but is incompetent enough to survive here or crashes here. I find far fetched. But you also mentioned that that there is an interdimensional potential. Expound on that. And I, and I was like, oh, my ears perked up. We're going to talk about uh, interdimensional stuff. You know, I, I love that. So Grush says, well, the first part, you know, regardless of the level of sentience, planes crash, cars crash, 
you know, given a number of sorties, a certain number are going to end in mission failure. I mean, that's just, that's almost kind of a universal thing. Nothing is, you know, 100% going to be successful every time. So even, you know, extraterrestrials who, you know, have advanced technology, they're going to have crashes. They're going to have things fail on them. They're going to have things not go right. Especially, we don't know, this, you know, some of these crashes may have been like a first time that in that particular alien race came here. And, you know, they might not know you know, the physics of our atmosphere and our planet and all that sort of thing, you know, so yeah, they could have a crash. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. You know, it, it might happen to us. I mean, we've had, you know, even our own solar system when we've, uh, you know, sent satellites and rovers and things like that out into our own solar system. It's never been 100% perfect. Um, it's technology that we have out there that's failed and hasn't worked crashed into Mars or, or what have you. Yeah, not not all the Mars missions have been successful. So, um, so then he continues. Um, in terms of multidimensionality, the framework I'm familiar with is a holographic principle. And he explains a little bit, derives itself from general relativity and quantum mechanics. And he, he continues, you know, imagine a 3D object project, projecting a shadow onto a 2D surface. You can be projected from higher dimensional space. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, Burleson asked, uh, but you haven't seen any documentation on that? He's like, well, you know, it was a theoretical discussion that was going on. Uh, so then Burleson says, uh, well, Occam's razor, you know, might some of these be some of our advanced programs? And Crush explains, well, many of these predate that. And then, you know, and, and I get it. You know, th this guy's trying to, you know, he's kind of trying to play devil's advocate and he's trying, trying to find a reasonable earthly explanation for some of this. And he says, well, what about recovery by, you know, one organization of another organization's technology? And maybe they don't quite recognize that. And, you know, Grush is like, well, all the reports and information he's seen, there hasn't been a situation like that. So, um, and the hearing went on. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I loved it when, the idea of you know, interdimensional travel entered into this. Uh, of course, with other shoulder, with my book there, Travels Through Time, um, you know, we even do talk about you know, the idea of uh, some of these UAPs being time travelers, not just ourselves. It could be ourselves. Um, some of these UAPs that have crashed could be us from, you know, 100,000 years from now. It could be, a extraterrestrial life form that long after humanity has gone from here, colonized this world, figured out time travel technology, went back, you know, um, or another intelligent life form that evolved from Earth again after humans are gone and, you know, developed the technology to be able to do something like that. So, a lot of different possibilities uh, on the table here. Let me see about some of your final uh, questions, comments. And um, see, Sylvain is in the house. Cool. Uh, and a, what if the few crashes indicate there's many more successful trips to our planet by aliens? And that's and that's the thing. So kind of like what I was just talking about, uh, like with Mars missions, not every single one has been successful. A lot of them have been though, and you know we're of course you know gathering data and things like that right now, uh, but not all of them. It's not been a hundred percent. So you know, very well possible that, um, you know, one or two crashed, you know, when they came to visit, but others have been successful and have been, uh, you know, routinely, you know, coming here 
and um, and data collecting like we would do for uh, any you know any plant that we would go visit. And I had a um, a situation thrown at me today when I was on an interview earlier. You know the idea that um, you know if there was a extraterrestrial race that came here and visit, they they would introduce themselves. Yeah, under the under the guise that um, that we would do the same, and I disagreed with that because I don't think we would. Certainly not initially. You know, we find a uh, you know planet with civilization on it, or at least life forms, that sort of thing. I don't think we're immediately going to go down and say hello. I think we're going to study it first. We're going to find out who's down there, what's going on. Um, it, it, gather as much data as we can before deciding well, we're going to go introduce ourselves now. And, you know, a, a, an extraterrestrial race uh, with, okay, we're talking, you know, Gresh was talking about since the 1930s. Of course, we had Roswell and others in the 40s, whatever. So we're talking 80, almost 90 years uh, of this. Um, you know, in that 80 or 90 years, if it's the same one, because we could be talking about, and I believe probably, you know, multiple uh, extraterrestrial uh, species here. You know, but if, even if you just had the one, they may have decided within that time frame, you know, you know these these humans are a little, uh, they're they're a bit erratic. Uh, so we're not going to go down and introduce ourselves just yet. We're going to wait for them to get their stuff together first, and then maybe we'll introduce ourselves. But we're still continue to study, and we're going to continue to monitor. Um, yeah, so, all right, um, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap it up because we are 10 minutes over. We've still got the after show for, uh, those connected universe portal members. So for those that are listening to the audio podcast later, again, join us every Wednesday night, eight o'clock PM Eastern time, connected universe portal.com. Uh, there is the, uh, there is the live YouTube portion, but, uh, the rest of us, uh, those that are members of the Connected Universe Portal, we're going to go to the after show here and uh, discuss a few other little things about this. So, everybody, till next time, time really exists.